It's good to see you all here. I'm imagining that you're really friendly. (laughs) I want to talk about uh, a complicated topic tonight. Maybe it won't be complicated at all for you. It's complicated for me. I want to talk about faith. I actually love the the topic because I I learned something about my own relationship to faith and how faith faith moves in the heart and expresses itself every with every preparation. And so just to acknowledge that the word faith might evoke something from you already. A word that reminds us of uh, our own experiences and maybe some positive and maybe some painful experiences. We might find that the, the Buddhist way of describing faith is slightly different from what we might understand in our own experience. And at least for me, in, in an exploration of faith, my understanding has broadened and I'm strengthened. My grandfather was a a Southern Baptist preacher. And I grew up with a, a kind of complicated relationship to religion and have really grown to appreciate his presence in my life and uh, how he lived in very simple ways. My family was my grandfather and my grandmother were poor cotton farmers and um, I really saw how my for my grandfather faith and was a an act of survival and I have these memories of him sitting in his chair he was a quiet man and I remember him sitting there's a lot of very small house and kids and grandkids all over and he would just kind of carve out his space and in a room and kick his feet up and read the Bible or study, just sit contemplating something, still, quiet. Yeah. And that's a bit for me what faith calls us to explore just how to find some refuge in a a world that seems unmanageable. And faith is a translate it's a translation from Pali and the translations are never exact, right? We'll never quite quite get the exact expression that the Buddha was looking for. So we have to accept that and perhaps uh, better than a definition of faith is an exploration or to consider faith as a, to find ways to describe it, what it looks like in our lives, how it moves, how it expresses itself. 
and perhaps not as something, uh, an idea, really, or a conceptual understanding, but hopefully I'll illustrate a little bit what, uh, what I mean by this, but as a movement of energy, right, something that helps us begin and guides us, a noble starting place. And in fact, faith in some traditions is more of an action word. It's not a, we're not actually asked to believe anything. And we're, it's okay if we believe things. Right? We have to learn to wake up to the views and beliefs that all human beings have about life. And learning how to understand that beliefs and views shape the ways that we live. And so that we're not afraid of them. But we actually aren't, we're not afraid of having them, and we're not afraid of watching how they move through us. So, an action word more like uh, we fade right, than an actual thing that we arrive at. And if the word faith doesn't work for you for now, it's okay to set it aside too. Every time you hear faith, you might replace that with something of your own. And some other words of, such as confidence or conviction or trust might work better. There might be something else that comes forward for you when you hear a little bit about how faith can be described. Sharon Salzberg wrote a wonderful book. I was just telling Kyra Jewell that I bring this book on most retreats that I go on, not to read it so much, um, but to just place it on my altar that I build in my room, just as a representation of something. Because faith doesn't deny any experience either. It doesn't deny suffering, or it's not like we only get to have faith if we are are purely happy people and (laughs) joyful and blissed out. It's not like that. And in fact, we learn how to, usually faith deepens in some of the most painful moments of our lives because we start to reach for something. And that reach is what we might call faith. Sharon, in her book, uh, Faith, Learning, Trusting Your Own Deepest Experience, she said that, uh, she described faith as the willing suspension of disbelief. So rather than thinking of it as taking up a belief, it's more of a willingness to be open, to explore, to investigate. And in that investigation, we learn something about what feels worthy to place the heart upon, which might be another way to describe faith. What do we rest the heart on in moments when we really need something? This is a description of faith, faith by a wonderful teacher, 7A Selassie. She says, To me, faith conveys the deep conviction that despite my opinions about what is happening at any particular moment, life is wondrous and full of possibility. Pain and suffering can obscure my wonder. 
in times of pain, feelings of frustration are a sign of my deepest, most wholesome desire for liberation. When I get stuck in that frustration, I have forgotten a fundamental truth about faith. The present moment is exactly how it should be. That doesn't mean it is ideal or just, or that I don't work to alleviate my suffering. It means given the past, which is no longer, the present cannot be otherwise. As much as I may think everything is going wrong wrong in and around me, it's only by accepting things just as they are that I can truly participate in the magic of living, including the freedom to make change. Does that strike you as beautiful? (laughs) Me too. So we're really talking about learning to trust, to deeply trust our own experience. The experience that we can verify, that we learn to say yes to. All these many moments, many, M-I-N-I, and many, M-A-N-Y. Moments when we realize, oh yeah, thoughts are being known. Oh yeah, this is unpleasant sensation of the body. Oh yeah, I don't want to be here. (laughs) These moments when we're really honest with ourselves. And we're learning to trust that that's actually true. It's actually how it is for us. So it's that which we can verify. And it's also about acknowledging the beliefs and views we hold. The way we relate to the mysteries of life. And even death. And even the possibility of complete freedom that the Buddha pointed to. It can be useful to have teachers and guides that help illustrate something. But that shouldn't ever replace how it actually is for us. Because that actual lived experience, what's moving in our own hearts and what we feel, what we sense, how life has expressed itself for us, you know, historically and currently, that is actually the way it is. And that's, that's the stuff that we get to work with. That's what, that's what freedom arises from. So faith should be rooted in an understanding, not from an external authority. It's more experiential and not about resolving something actually conceptually that we might think about. So it's from this place of reckoning with our own experience that we start to reach, as I spoke of before, reach for something that's going to be supportive And if we think about how, for how long people have been coming to spiritual practice to help, for help, cope, coping with life as it is, it's a long time. Life gives, gives us a lot to reckon with. So it's really a noble thing to go, oh, how can I relate to this skillfully, right? in the best possible way for my own and for our collective well-being Life can bring us to our knees, if you will, right? But not for someone to save us, 
but to find, to start to look for the inner resources that we need to relate skillfully. Like what, what will be the support here? Right? Talked about this a little bit in our small groups today. That we're always kind of employing skillful means. We're seeing what's available in the heart. You know, what supports saying yes to this? Because if it were easy to say yes, we would just do it. Right? But it's not quite like that. It's like a yes, and then a no, and then a check out, and then a wander off, and come back, and I guess I have to, I will, no, I don't really want to, and fine, I hate this place, (laughs) and on and on. In some moments, we just surrender to that. We go, oh, it's hard being human. It's hard being me right now. It's hard dealing with all this. And sometimes the heart just breaks open right there, right then and there. Some compassion available. And sometimes we, we need to do something different, right? We know that. We open our eyes, we take a deep breath, we pause on the path, we stop eating for a moment, and we just yeah, ask, like, what now, sweetie? What do you need, right? What do you need to keep going? And that's, in that moment, that's an expression of faith. That surrender to, oh, it's like this. It's really like this. I can keep spinning my wheels and doing what I think I should do, you know, trying to feel good, avoiding not feeling bad. But at some point, life demands our presence. We go, yeah, now what do you need? Heart, what is it? What can I do for you? And we offer that like a skillful means. It's, it's said that the proximate cause for faith to arise is suffering. So we don't have to be afraid of that. Hopefully we start to see that one of the expressions of faith is to inspire. And with time, we keep getting closer and closer to the roots of some of the deep reckoning that we're doing with our own, reckoning with our own pain, reckoning with the incessant arising of complicated moments, moments that feel unresolvable. And that movement to say yes, to finally surrender, that's faith. I remember one of my earliest retreats, retreat experiences, I I was sitting at the back of the room where I could, I knew where the door was (laughs) and where I could see the window. I can look outside, you know, all right. If this becomes too hard, I know I can get out there. (laughs) I am not trapped here. And I was really, really identified with being an anxious person. And I kind of, I didn't really know that there was any relief possible. You know, I didn't, didn't imagine that at that point 
in my life. And there was this elongated experience of no anxiety. It seemed to miraculously arise. And there was enough interest because I didn't know what it was. Right? So I was like, ah, what is this? It feels pleasant. It, it's like this. There's still experience coming. I thoughts, body is here. You know, interesting. What is this? And just that it stayed, you know, it stayed for as long as it stayed. But I happened to have a, a practice meeting with a teacher shortly after that. And I described this experience like, oh, it was just like this. And he said, did you have confidence? And I was like, what in the world kind of a question is that? I don't even know what that means. Confidence in what? Well, and I just paused with it for a second. And I was like, well, it seemed like that was actually happening. <laughs> you know, whatever that was, whatever we might call it, however you might help me describe that, there is confidence that that actually occurred. Right? And, in, um, and in, as I was reflecting on that experience, it's, it wasn't just a, in retrospect that there was confidence, but actually in that moment, oh, this is the way it is. Right? The mind was actually interested in something new occurring. And when this teacher said, well, we might call that tranquility, it's like, huh, who knew? <laughs> How amazing and miraculous, right? But it's that kind of wonder that can be there. And we might not even see that coming, right? We're just kind of slogging away this and that, and it feels like nothing's happening, and we just keep coming back to the cushion, going to our lane, following the schedule, and, you know, but it's that, that's the persistent effort, you know, those moments of faith inspire that effort to keep returning, and then something, something is actually happening there, right? There is some possibility of relief, of lessening the pain that we're feeling, of learning a different way to live, even. That might not be quite that obvious to us in the moment. Faith isn't, it also isn't something naive, like the next five days are just going to be full of tranquility. Or that, or something like, well, love and wisdom is going to prevail in the world, and everybody's going to learn to get along and stop doing bad things. Right? It's not something naive like that. But faith arises from the deepest roots of acknowledging the way it actually is, right? and starting to see a little more clearly how things come to be, right? That, oh yeah, human beings, this mind is a mess. There's some spaciousness, some wholesome qualities, and there's also a lot of defiled energies, right? Things I don't want to admit. Arisings of ill will. Arisings of self-condemnation. A lot of doubt, a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of rage, a lot of judgment, a lot of irritation. 
you know, whatever the things that, you know, we don't want to actually say, well, that's what arose in this mind. It was very hateful. We start to see, when we reckon with that individually, we start to see, oh yeah, the world is an expression of that. Our communities are an expression of that. And when we start to see that, oh yeah, this is the human experience, and we have this opportunity, or we've had the good fortune to come across some teachings that help us learn how to cultivate, strengthen what's wholesome, and set down what's not beneficial or not useful, what's not in alignment with our own or our collective well-being. And we start to yeah, recognize that perhaps there's a capacity here in this heart to reckon with the truth of all that without pretending that it's not that way or pretending that this heart isn't this way are without some naive view that everything's going to get better overnight or in the next seven years or three decades or four generations or whatever we think, right? Because what's true is that we're always participating. Always. Every intentional moment leaves a residue. So all these moments that we engage with our own experience leaves a residue that's felt by us, that supports the next arising, that seeds what's moving in the collective. You know, we can kind of see this if we broaden our view and notice like, oh yeah, it really matters how people come into the hall. It matters how we're engaging with this retreat. It matters that we're willing to speak our truth in small groups. It's to the benefit of all all who are there to receive that and respond to it. So we start to see something about the interconnectedness of reality that then supports, that, that is, can be deeply grounding. right? Oh, I don't have to solve the problem of this mind or this relationship or this world, but I can learn to participate because I'm already doing that I can learn to choose, have some say over how I participate, right? For the long haul, not with any goal in mind necessarily, but just because it's an act of, it's a contribution of goodness. So faith in something deeper, some deeper wisdom, actually supports the energy that we might need to be present and to continue doing the things we want to do. Here's a a piece by James Baldwin I really love. For nothing is fixed forever and forever and forever. It is not fixed. The earth is always shifting. The light is always changing. The sea does not cease to grind down rock. Generations do not cease to be born, and we are responsible to them because we are the only witnesses they have. The sea rises, the light fails, lovers cling to each other and children cling to us. The moment we cease to hold each other, the moment we break faith with one another, 
the sea engulfs us and the light goes out. And again, this is inspiring to me because, you know, faith calls us to look at life from a different perspective. And to really recognize that there's no way of getting out of participating. So we might want to think about how we're doing that. We might want to cultivate habits of presence and care that support us in participating the way that we want. And it's wisdom that will only be able to find the most skillful participation after we've said yes to this. We can think about that for a second. Have you ever been able to participate skillfully with anything by denying it? Probably not, right? (laughs) Probably not. So that contact with experience, oh, it's like this for me is so important. And that's where confidence, like when we say, yeah, yeah, it's, it, is, it is true. You know, I know how I want things to be. I know what I hope for, but it's actually like this. Deeply grounding. I think we should celebrate every time we return to the hall. I, I tend to take a moment and just appreciate that people came back. <laughs> you know, it's great. It might not always be faith that brings us back. It might be obligation or something. But it might not be only faith that brings us back. But there's some bit of faith that caused us to take some action that we might miss. At home, I have a, um, there's a very lovely statue of Kuan Yin that was gifted to me from a a dear Dharma friend. She's about this big, and I often, uh, she sits right on the desk where I prepare often for teaching. And I have another Kuan Yin. Kuan Yin is the embodied compassion. Like, she's often a, an expression of how we meet life's joys and sorrows. She's not afraid to move either, so she's often depicted with one knee up, and often her hand just kind of draped over her knee, which I love the look of that, because she's like, what? Right? (laughs) I'm ready, right? And I, I can get up, and often a soft kind of smile on her face. So that's in another part of the room. But in this, uh, at this table, she kind of has her head down in prayer position with her arms crossed. And uh, when I look at that, and I can bring it to mind right now, just you know, it really reminds me to, to move towards the deepest thing whatever wisdom we can call on, whatever love, whatever depth of compassion we can call on to help us right now. That movement towards something beneficial. 
right? Just don't stop reaching, sweetie. No matter how it seems right now, just don't stop reaching. We can make the mistake of thinking that we need to have some kind of great experience of doing to build the confidence, right? Like once I finish this retreat, then I'll have confidence, right? Once I can sit for 45 minutes peacefully, then I'll know that I've gotten there. But it's it's not that. Yeah. Those ideas might be supportive. They may be, and there's nothing wrong with them. But faith is like an internal orientation. Yeah. Not an arrival, but of that reach, that look. What? How am I going to get through this? What do I need to remember right now? Do I remember that things are always changing? Life is more in motion than a series of dots, this and that, some fixed thing? Do I remember that these big snowflakes, you know, the snow is so different every day. It's different. Right? Every time it snows, it's slightly different than the last time it snowed. That this is just nature. Yeah. Some causes and conditions that we can predict, and others that are very mysterious. Is that supportive right now? And so it's not a mountain that we need to climb or a goal that we need to reach that feels so good, but realizing that this kind of renewing quality of faith. Faith reinvests, renews, you know, reimagines. It can be cultivated in every moment of our lives. And we don't have to wait till we get to the end of something in order to find the kind of confidence that's supportive. There are two words in Pali that often get translated as faith. And one of them is pasada, and the other one is sada. So often when we're, we come, we do some of that reckoning that I've been talking about. We realize that some of the the ways we, the, the kind of where we place our faith, what we place the heart upon in our daily lives isn't really that sustaining. Right? We are always moving towards something, sometimes moving towards success or ambition or um, perfection, <laughs> whatever it is. And we realize that, oh yeah, this is, as a soul movement of life energy is disappointing. And so often when we come in contact with, reckoning with all the ways that we 
all the things that we take faith in that maybe aren't going to be that beneficial long term, then there can be a kind of spiritual urgency there that stirs us. Like, oh, wait a second. You know, there's something, there's got to be something more that helps us through this, helps me through this, because this is big this time. This time, all of the, the Netflix and the brownies, you know, aren't going to do it, aren't going to quite cut it, right? A good conversation with a friend, a nice walk, you know, it's not going to cut it. And so that spiritual urgency we might call is we might say is the heart's call to freedom or the might the heart's call to liberation. Right? Well, there's got to be something more. Right there. The heart is reaching. It's like a wholesome desire that we don't want to be afraid to see. And with this spiritual urgency, it comes in my experience, it often comes with an energy that can't be missed. It might call us to take a retreat like this. If this is your first retreat, maybe you've had a moment like that. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to help, but let me try something. It can be a kind of determination. But that energy can also be kind of unsettling and a little agitating or something like that. And it's balanced with this energy of posada confidence in something, right? Finally, when we hear the Buddhist teachings, for example, or start to put some of these teachings, set them in motion for ourselves and our lives, we start to feel, okay, there, now this has some potential. And that confidence then deepens with time. Right? I feel very, given my own Christian background, perhaps, and maybe other explorations that I feel like there's many spiritual paths, and this is just one of them. But there's something really has felt very useful to me about digging into something like this and really see where it can take can take us. So faith doesn't require a shedding of beliefs and other spiritual practices. Doesn't require picking up any beliefs either. But it's an energy that grows when we recognize it. And often the development of of faith begins with what we might call or what Sharon has called bright faith, kind of like falling in love, (laughs) where you really see all the good stuff ahead, right? Oh, this person, they're just great. (laughs) And that doesn't last forever. (laughs) And so that bright Right, faith then deepens because of that reckoning with the way things actually are. The Buddha used this um, description, this image to describe faith. He talked about, uh, or it's this is how it's used in the scriptures, like a herd of cows trying to cross a active river, and the 
the elder cows go first. And although the river is active and, you know, I can't think of the word. What does it mean when the river is moving fast? Rushing. Rushing. That's a good one. (laughs) Rushing river. And it's rushing, but they're stable and they go. They've been here before, right? Yes, it's like this. They have some experience. They go ahead. And then next come the adolescent cows, and they're tentative and unsure, and they come to the edge of the river perhaps and hesitate a little. But slowly they make it across. And then the young ones are next, and they don't want to go. It's too much. They've never seen this much rushing river business. And so they just don't come close. But they eventually wade into the river because of the sound of the elder cow's voices calling them forward, right? Telling them it's, it's safe, you can do this. Which I love that description because it kind of describes how faith moves, right? You might begin with, all right, I'm going to step out here. Other people have... You know, practice this way, and there's some models around that I appreciate. Maybe I've heard a teacher speak on these topics before, or, you know, or I have a friend who's been meditating for a little while, and they are talking about the value of practice. And so we step out into the unknown, right? like falling in love, like big guess. I don't know how this is going to go like the young cows, young ones, just stepping out there because of the call of our friends, the call of a wise one. And then we see some value, and we gain a little bit of maturity along the way. And that maturity is hard fought because we start to feel more. The practice becomes real. Verified faith is described as the right to ask questions. Like, is this really, you know, am I doing this right? Is this how it's supposed to go? What is this? You know, I've never had this experience before. You know, this is too hard. Should I quit? All these questions are just a part of the maturing process. And when we're not afraid to have doubt or touch despair... then that faith then matures even more deeply into something that feels unmovable. Like, oh yeah, like sitting as still as a rock, like a mountain that's been there for a thousand years, you know? Just letting experience come and go. It might seem like that's far off when we're a young one. But as an elder, that seems possible. And so for communities like this, we're kind of all finding an elder to help us show us the way, right? It might be a friend, a peer. Maybe someone in small groups said something today that helped inspire you to take one more step on the path, or maybe one of the teachers did. Whatever that is. And we're all sort of in different places. In my experience, it's not linear, right? Where you're a young one and then an elder. 
but you might come and go in different places. I remember sitting with a friend of mine uh, early in practice. She's probably been practicing for 40 years now. But she was about 20 years in at the time, and we were sitting on retreat, a small retreat, and she was, real, she was brave enough to talk about how much doubt was in her mind, just plagued with doubt again and again and again. And I was so impressed that she kept coming back to retreat day after day. I was like, I heard that. I heard her say that. And yet she kept coming back to the room. She would show up every day, do her practice, experience that. I was really touched by that as an example. Not be afraid to experience and to express doubt. It's like this sometimes for us. There's also, as I've kind of pointed to already, a a strong connection between faith and ethics. There's another, a nice image in the scriptures of of a big tree with its branches far and wide, lots of shade, you know, and a place for the critters to be. And faith is described as this kind of protective force not because of a place that we land, but because we keep reaching. And it's that reach that actually makes us trustworthy to each other. Not that we're perfect, not that things are perfect, the environment's perfect, you know, but that we keep reaching. I think I'll end with a reading this, the ending of Sharon's book. It's a little lengthy, but I think it's worth it. That blog. To offer our hearts in faith means recognizing that our hearts are worth something that we ourselves and our deepest and truest nature are of value. When we live from this knowing, our offering is complete, generous, bountiful. I find this unstinting faith perfectly expressed in one of the verses of Lala, a 14th century mystic from Kashmir. Lala says, At the end of a crazy moon night, the love of God rose. I said, It's me, Lala as if renewing her acquaintance with an old friend, Lala addresses her God casually, sweetly, intimately. Enchanted, I felt inspired by her winsome response, her calm expectation of being remembered. Hi, you remember me, don't you? Lala offers herself completely, no reticence due to feeling a lack of worth, no questioning of her absolute right to be there, face-to-face with the vastness of her ultimate truth. Without any doubt, the heart she brings is worthy. For a long time after I discovered this poem, it was my touchstone. I wanted to be like Lala, close up to the truth of life. 
One day, faced with an urgent turning point in my life, that favorite line arose in my mind, transformed into a phrase that launched me from admiration of Lala to standing in her place. It was no longer, it's me, Lala, but it's me, Sharon. It's me, Sharon, right up against the question of what it means to be alive and having to someday, someday die. It's me, Sharon, part of a constantly changing reality with all surety falling away. It's me, Sharon, not even one slight step removed from my own potential for love and awareness and my ability to realize them. It's me, Sharon, no longer appreciating from a distance Lala's upfront textured, vibrant connection to her truth, but directly face to face with my own. Like Lala, we all have that absolute right to reach out without holding back toward what we care about more than anything. Whether we describe the recipient as God or a profound sense of indestructible love or the dream of a kinder world, it is the act of offering our hearts in faith that something in us transforms and what may have been merely a remote abstraction flames into life. It's me, Lala, becomes it's me, whoever we are, proclaiming that we no longer stand on the sidelines, but are leaping directly into the center of our lives, our truth, our full potential. No one can take the leap for us, and no one has to. This is our journey of faith. Let's sit for a minute and let go of the words. Thanks so much for your kind attention tonight, everyone. We have about 10 minutes before the meal, so if you'd like to do some walking practice or gazing at the snow practice, standing, feel welcome. Just give the the people bringing out the food some space in in the dining room. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.